The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today we continue a sermon that we began yesterday entitled, It is Finished. As we said yesterday, there's often a sense when we say someone is finished that we mean that they're done for, that they've done all they can do and they've lost the battle and now their life or their work is just over. But that's not what Jesus meant when he cried out, It is finished from the cross. As we began to see yesterday, there were many who thought he was done for, but we'll see today as we conclude this message that Jesus Christ was far from it. Indeed, he had finished the work that he had been sent to do. Join us as we conclude this sermon entitled, It Is Finished. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Out in the cold world, away from God, no signs of
disciples thought he was finished. Otherwise, why would Peter deny him? If Peter didn't think he was done for, he'd have said, yeah, I'm with him. And y'all just wait three days. I can't wait. <laughs> just wait and see what happens. But Peter, Peter himself thought he was finished. Those on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, turn and read it sometime. They said, we thought he was the one that was going to deliver Israel. And they just were walking and were sad. And Jesus ended up upbraiding them about that. See, even his own disciples thought he was finished, that he was done for, that he had gone as far as he could go, and he could go no further. Well, beloved, many people in our day still believe he's finished. You know, the secular world believes he's finished. If you read over in the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew, the Jews themselves made up a little story to tell with the Romans that Instead of him being resurrected, his disciples came and stole his body away. And it says that they tell that story to this day. The non-Christian world believes he's done for. The non-Christian world, those who are uh, either of other religions or are not religious at all, they believe he's finished. You know, the philosophers and the disputers of this world say God is dead. I, I'm reminded of this thing I read about uh, where there was some graffiti on the wall somewhere over there in Germany about Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche is the one who declared in one of his writings, God is dead and we have killed him. <laughs> and on this wall over there, someone had scribbled, God is dead and signed it Nietzsche. And right beside it, somebody scribbled, Nietzsche is dead and signed it God. <laughs> but there are many in this world that believe that God is dead, that believe that Jesus Christ was finished. But, but listen, beloved, many in the religious world, in the Christian world, believe that he's finished. They believe he went as far as he could go. They believe that today his hands are tied. He's gone as far as he can go and it's left up to the sinner. To finalize a transaction of salvation. They believe that statement over there in John chapter 19 and verse 30 should read like this. I've done all I can do. Now it's up to you. You know most sermons in the religious world today focus upon what the sinner has to do to seal the deal. You must receive him. But I read about... In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why is that? Because they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. What he's saying to them there is that, that the natural man, the one who's never been born again, who's only been born in nature, he can't receive Jesus. He has no interest in him. He says it's foolishness to him. And even if he had an interest, it would be, he would be unable to. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You see, you see, it's not about receiving him. 
We read in John chapter 1, back over a few pages, uh, or over a few pages farther on. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, As many as received him. Well, there's some people that received him. Say, preacher, what about that? Well, let's read on a little bit. As many as received him, to them gave he power. That word power means authority. To become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So what that tells us is, is that those who, who receive Christ are those who believe in Christ. Okay? The receivers are the believers. But that's not the last verse in that chapter. As a matter of fact, the very next verse tells us something extremely important about those who receive Christ, who are the believers in Christ. It says in verse 13, which were born, not will be, not are being born, which were born. This is a past tense verb. And that tells me that those who believe in Him, those who are the receivers of Christ, something has already happened to them before they received or believed. It says they were born. You know, Jesus talks about that birth over in the third chapter. He says, you must be born again. You've got to be born again. He says, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And that water's not talking about the waters of baptism. That's another name for the Spirit. That's another description of the Spirit. Something that Nicodemus would have understood. He said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Flesh does not evolve into spirit. Well, nobody believes in spiritual and uh, natural evolution in most of our fundamental churches. Most of the evangelical world believes in creation when it comes to the natural world, not evolution. But too many times we're preaching some form of spiritual evolution that the flesh can somehow evolve into spirit. Beloved, he said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And the implication there is it always will be flesh. But praise God, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. <laughs> See, in order to have a spiritual nature, you must be born again. Those who receive Him, those who believe in Him, were born. Now listen, not of blood. They didn't inherit it. Nor the will of the flesh. They didn't choose it. Nor the will of man. Mom and daddy didn't choose it for you. Nor the preacher. But of God. I'm so thankful it's that way. See, the new birth is like the natural birth. You know, that, that child in the womb didn't open its eyes one day and say, you know, I think I'll be born today. That child in the womb didn't begin to feel the, the pressures of childbirth and say, no, not today. I think I'll stay here. <laughs> no, it was of another action upon him. You see, and that's the way it is with this new birth. Some say you must give your heart to him. Well, listen, you ought to every day turn the things, the matters of your heart over to him. But you know what Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I heard Brother Raymond Spann say many times that his granddaddy was an old sovereign grace preacher. And when it came to the point of people saying, you've got to give your heart to Jesus, he said, what would he do with a nasty old thing? 
Of course, what he means by that is this, is it's not about us giving our heart to him. He's got to give us a new heart, you see. He's got to give us a new heart. Some say you must come to him. You must come to him. But I read over in John chapter 6 and verse 44 that no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Some say you must do enough good works to outweigh the bad works. Boy, I hope that's not the case. I want you to be honest with yourself and think about any particular day of your life. Think about the best day of your life, the day you feel like you did the best that you've ever done serving him. Did your good works outweigh your bad? Did your good thoughts outweigh your bad? Did you do the good works with the right motive? You know, Isaiah tells us, that we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You can't build up enough of a pile of filthy rags to make them smell sweet in the, in the nostrils of God. All they do is they get worse. They stink more. Beloved, I've done some good things in my life. I know you've done some good things in your life. But I've done everything I've done in my life is tainted by the sin curse. Every time I've given to somebody in charity, every time I've done a charitable work, even when I've done it anonymously, you know what? I've told you this before. I sure wanted somebody to know about it. <laughs> See, I, you know, I did it right. I kept it to myself. But, man, I wanted somebody to know about it so bad so they know what a good guy I was, you know. Have you ever had that problem? You struggle with the thoughts and the intents of your heart? There's always some self-interest in everything that I do. That's why Isaiah said our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That is, every righteous work, every good work we do is nothing but filthy rags. I'm so thankful it's not about one day the Lord's going to weigh out my good works against my bad because that'll be, a, that'll be a sad day for me because my good works will never outweigh, outweigh my bad. Well, as we bring this to a close... Let me, let me just assure you of this. Jesus really did finish something that day. He really was finished. And he finished it so that we who could not finish it would not have to. You see, finish doesn't mean what they think it means. That word in Greek is tetelestai. That doesn't mean that Jesus was done for. It doesn't mean that he had gone as far as he could go. What that means is, to, it means literally to bring to a close or to execute a plan. It says, and one I like here, it says, to carry out the contents of a command, to do just as commanded, and to perform the last act which completes a process or to accomplish something. That's what finished means. See, there was a job he was sent to do. If you'll look with me just for a minute over into John chapter 17, that great high priestly prayer that he prayed over there as he's getting ready to go to Calvary. In the first verse, he says this, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Sometimes people accuse us as primitive Baptists of, uh, of believing in a chosen few. Beloved, I don't believe in a chosen few. And I can give you exactly how many there are. 
as many as thou hast given him. That's the answer right there. And we read over in Revelation, it's a multitude that no man can number, but we're told that he is to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. God gave him a work to do. He gave him something to do and he finished it. If you go back sometime, you'll read the description of the job. There was a job he was sent to do. The job description is found in John 6 and verse 38 and 39. He said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me. We're about to learn what the job was. The job that he was about to do is this. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That's the job he was sent to do. He was given a job by the Father himself. He sums it up pretty much as good as, as well as I could ever sum it up in Matthew 1 and 21 when the angel is talking to Joseph there and says, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Beloved, that's the job he was given to do, and he had promised to finish that job. This wasn't some mistake of circumstances. This wasn't some afterthought by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What happened to Jesus that day goes back a long time before they took him and crucified him. Over in Acts chapter 4, we've read that many times in the 26th verse, we're told that the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod, we've read about Herod, and Pontius Pilate, we've read about Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, we've seen some Gentiles here, the Romans, and the people of Israel, they were those Jews, were gathered together. They had a plan. They had, they had intents that they were going to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what they did. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Oh, beloved, when they came to that hill of Golgotha that day, it wasn't that Jesus had gone as far as he could go, that he found himself in circumstances he couldn't handle. They were there to do whatsoever the Lord's hand and counsel had determined before to be done. You see what happened to Jesus that day goes back to the Garden of Eden when God looked at the serpent and said the seed of the woman will bruise your head and thou shalt bruise his heel and in fact what happened to Jesus that day goes all the way back before the foundation of the world you go back sometime and read Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 and he tells us we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world you go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 and 30 sometimes. It'll tell about those that he foreknew who were predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son and whom he predestinated he called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, he glorified. That justified portion there is what Jesus was performing on the cross. And praise God, he not only had a job to do, he finished the job that he was sent to do. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He didn't sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he was finished. He was done. 
God was satisfied. We're told in Acts 13 and verse 32, Paul is preaching there to those Antioch Christians, I believe it is. He says, and we declare unto you glad tidings. This ought to be good news, child of God. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. We're told that Jesus himself said it is finished, and God put his stamp of approval on it by raising him from the dead. We talked a little bit about those people that thought Jesus was done for, thought he was finished in that sense. There was one person that day that we haven't really talked about too much that saw something different in Jesus. Was he a Pharisee? Was he a scribe? Or was he a learned in the law? <laughs> no. He was a lowly thief. Over in Luke chapter 23, Jesus is hanging there on the cross. You remember now, this thief was one of two, and both of them were mocking and cursing and swearing and, and imploring him to bring them down off of that cross. They didn't believe in him. They didn't trust in him. They had cast the same in his teeth. But I want you to notice what, what happened over in about verse 39. It says, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other one, and I'm so thankful for that, <laughs> that distinction. Now this other one was just the same as the first one. But now, at this point in time, something has changed. But the other one, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Now, this is a man who didn't care about being in the condemnation. He wanted to come down from the cross. He wanted to escape the punishment. But suddenly, his heart was smitten. <clears throat> his heart was pricked. His heart was changed because now he sees that he deserves everything he's getting. He says, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. How did he know that? There wasn't a preacher there handing out Bible tracts. There wasn't anybody there bringing him down to get him baptized. There wasn't anybody there telling him to pray the sinner's prayer. There wasn't anybody there telling him, you've got to accept Jesus or you've got to pray this prayer or you've got to hold on or let go. Oh, no, nobody was there saying your good works have to outweigh your bad. He didn't have time to do any more good works. All he'd done was bad works. <clears throat> but you know, he saw something different in Christ. As he hung there on the cross, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Beloved, I just want to point out something to you. Crying out to Christ is not what changed his heart. His heart was already changed, or he never would have cried out in the first place. Look at that statement of faith, beloved. He says, Lord, he didn't look like a Lord. He didn't look like any great person. We're told in the book of Isaiah, I believe it's the 52nd chapter, that his visage, his face was marred more than any man. He had suffered so much torture, so much abuse, so much trouble and tribulation, he didn't even look like a human being. 
He didn't look like a Lord. And then he said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He sure didn't look like the king of a kingdom, did he? He looked like he was done for. That's what he'd been thinking all along. But something changed in his heart. And it wasn't him crying out to God. It was the Holy Spirit changing his heart. See, a baby doesn't cry to get born. A baby cries because he's been born. And this young child, this infant in the spirit here, cried out, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, this man wasn't done for after all. No, he wasn't done for. You know what he meant when he said it is finished? He meant he had paid the sin debt for every single one of his children, without exception. You know, those that tell us that our salvation is up to us, I'm reminded of a YouTube video clip I've seen recently and go back and listen to from time to time by a preacher named Alastair Begg. He talks about this thief on the cross. He said, you know, I want to meet that man one day. I want to go see him and say, man, how'd that work out for you? He said, I can imagine the entry into heaven as he, you know, we don't know how that works exactly, but he said, you know, the angels come to him and say, what are you doing here? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, do you understand the doctrines of grace, the doctrine of justification by grace, the doctrine of the church and so forth? He said, I've never heard of those things. He said, then why are you here? On what basis are you here in heaven? And his answer was just this, the man on the middle cross said I could come. See, that's grace right there. That's grace. It's not about what we do, about what we have to do, because we couldn't do the least of the things that would be necessary to atone for even one of our minor sins. But Jesus cried out, it is finished, because it was finished. Our eternal redemption was secured. And I need to know that in this sin-cursed world of shifting sands. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.